So all I'm saying to you is know who your customer is. And when you get that first call, vet that out. One of the things would be is, okay, do you own the home I'm looking at? You've showed up and they don't even own it yet. They're looking at it and trying to see what it'll look like in the future. No, I don't do dreams with you. If you haven't closed on it, you're going to pay me a fee to look at that and we can apply it towards a job if in fact you buy it. You're not getting my time for free. Today, Sean Castrino shares with us some of the ways he's made millions of dollars in the residential interior design space. Have you hit a wall when it comes to growing your business? Then welcome to the Wingnut Social Podcast, helping home professionals and luxury brands accelerate their success with proven marketing strategies and expert industry practices. Now, here's your host, Darla Powell. Hey there, thank you for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Wingnut Social, a marketing agency specializing in amplifying luxury brands across the U.S. and Canada. For more information, go to wingnutsocial.com. Hey there, welcome to the Wingnut Social Podcast. I'm your host, the Grand High Poobah of all things Wingnut, Darla Jethro Powell. How the hell are you today? We are rolling along into this new year, into 2021, which seems to be going amazingly well if you never watch the news. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. It's going better, right? On a personal level, for me, I can tell you for sure it's going better and business seems to be doing well. Knock on wood. I'm knocking on my head right now. If you're not, you can't see me, but that's like my old joke. <laughs> my dad, one of my dad jokes. <laughs> Guys, today we have Sean Castrina on the podcast and he has made millions and millions and uber millions. And one of his businesses, one of his many trillions of business couple of them actually, are construction companies who specialize in residential design. And we are going to be going into the nitty gritty and the details of that. But before we get into that, we have a couple things for you. First of all, Luann Nagara's book is out. I finally got my copy in the mail. And that is the A Well-Designed Business Power Talk Friday Experts Volume 2. And I have to tell you, it is so surreal to open up a book and see my name and stuff I wrote there in it. <laughs> it's it's crazy. I'm like, is this real life? Did I do that? So if you guys haven't gotten your copy yet of that book, it's not just me, of course, which, you know, is amazing just by itself, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's myself and eight uh, co-authors, Luann included, with all kinds of knowledge bombs on business, running your interior design business in there. You can go to wingnutsocial.com slash podcast Check out this podcast episode with Sean Castrina. Look in the notes and you can purchase it right there and get all those all those goodies. I've gotten so much great feedback on the book already, not just from my chapter, but from the book as a whole. And I'm very proud to be a part of it. So be sure to check that out. And if you're listening to this in real time on this Wednesday, Luann Live, the event is going on in real time. And we appreciate you guys for being there, for showing up. I'm sure I'm having a terrific time. <laughs> I'm projecting into the future. I do know that uh, I went to the actual live event, the first one, and that was loads of fun. So I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm really enjoying it right now as we're in it, <laughs> in my time machine. <laughs> All right. So before I get into my interview with Sean Castrina, you guys know what time it is. Mini news sash. It's time for mini news. Mini news sash. Yeah. yeah. All right, we are joined again by the fantastic Hallie Zimmerman, who is a social media manager at Wingnut Social, the agency for luxury brands. Hey there, Hallie Zimmerman. Welcome back. Well, hey there. Thanks for having me back. I'm pumped to talk to you today 
I'm pumped to talk to you today because today is all about money and we haven't covered this. We're talking about shoppable posts on Instagram and tagging products on posts for people to actually throw money at you so you can deliver the pretty things that we're posting on Instagram and you're going to give us the skinny on that. So ready and go. Go. Okay. Yeah. So with shoppable posts now, we know that this is not a brand new feature by any means. It has been around. We have seen it. But I think there's a pool of people, when I say pool, a large pool of people that are not utilizing this feature. I think that could be for many reason of, I just haven't had time to sit down and set it up. Or maybe they're a little nervous about going through the process, making a wrong step and upsetting Facebook or Instagram and having you know the privilege to use product tags and shoppable posts, take it away or something like that. There's been a lot of changes and I think there can be a little worry about that, but we're here to take that away. There's so many benefits to using these shoppable posts. I will say that according to Hootsuite blog, 130 million users are tapping posts, they're shopping and they're shopping in the app. Okay, so we're leaving money on the table by not having this set up. You're exactly right. Yeah, we're leaving money on the table. We need to go ahead and set these up. Okay. And it's not as complicated as maybe it once was. They've streamlined it a little bit. So if someone, if you're an interior designer out there or anybody really that has a product and you want to make some money from your Instagram, where do we begin? There's a couple quick things I'm going to run through real quick that you want to make sure you have set up and then we can move forward with how you do that. You're going to want to make sure that your Facebook and Instagram account are connected. What I think people fail to realize is you're not just doing it through Instagram. You've got to set up a shop first on Facebook. That's where your products are pulled for when you're tagging your post and you're sharing your shoppable post. So you're going to want to make sure those two are connected. You're also going to want to make sure that your Instagram account is a business account. Okay, because if you just have a regular one, forget it. You're not, you're out. That's right. There's the creator account, the personal account. You need the business account. So the creator won't work. Yeah. So you need to go ahead and have business account. Okay, good. Yeah. So you want to have that business account. And then you'll also want to make sure that your business is located in a quote unquote supported market by Facebook. Now, if you're in the US and Canada, you're just fine. And there is a long list of the locations where your business can be located for you to utilize this feature, but you could just check that out just in case. And then you're going to want to make sure that you will comply with Facebook's e-commerce or commerce policies. You can do a quick Google search, find those, review them. There's not too much to it, but If you go through and walk through all those steps before even trying to apply, that'll make sure that when you're applying to have this feature, which you will have to do, it'll make sure that the request should go in, you should get it really easily, and you shouldn't have any issue uh, being able to have this feature. Okay, so once you go in there and you apply, and all that's going to be in the show notes at wingnutsocial.com slash podcast for this episode with uh, Sean Castrina, how do you set up your shop? Does the shop itself live through Facebook, or do you have to have it linked to your own website or to some kind of Shopify account? Because I think that's been the barrier of entry, like that complication before. Is it that complicated, or is it simpler than that? No, you're exactly right. Uh, I think people are, are overthinking it. It's not complicated. You do have to go, like you said, you have to go through Facebook, and you'll need to create a shop. And when you do that, you will be prompted to connect your Facebook shop to your website. Websites like Shopify, there's a long list of right the websites that they can connect to that you can pull your products from. But you'll set up that shop, uh, you'll connect your products, and then those will be available on your Facebook page. Now, after that shop is set up on Facebook, you'll be ready to move on to your Instagram account So there's a second step here. You'll have to go through your Instagram account and apply for the Instagram shoppable features. So you will need to do that as well. Um, And 
once you get to that point and the shop set up, it'll just prompt you, ask a couple, four or five easy questions, and you'll click through that. You'll basically submit a request to Instagram. They'll take a couple of days to review it. And then you should, if we taught all the things that we covered, if you've got all that set up, then you should be able to move forward with those shoppable posts on your account. Okay, so you do have to have some kind of Shopify or some similar type of account outside of the Facebook Instagram thing or no? Yes, that's what it will connect to. Okay, it will okay, want just to connect sure. to one of those, yes. Okay, so really just Facebook is picking up from that shop. Yes. Do you have to populate Facebook independently of that or no? It's just syncing over or something. No, they sync. Okay, so that makes sense. Okay, so do you know what the, when you apply for the Instagram one after you've set up Facebook, do you know what it is that they're looking for? What would they deny someone for, for setting up a shoppable post? Do you know? So the things like having your Facebook and Instagram account connected, that's one, making sure your Instagram account's a business account, making sure your business is located in a supported market. All the things I mentioned earlier, those are the things that I think if one of those is not checked, right? If you're looking at check, 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 making sure these things are done. If one is not checked, there's where you could run into issues. But again, if you make sure all that's done ahead of time, you shouldn't have any issues. It could take a couple of days to hear back, potentially, maybe a little longer depending on how things go. But you should hear back fairly quickly and be able to move forward with using Shoppable Post. Okay, awesome. Do you have any idea what kind of product seems to do better on this Yeah. Well, as far as products go, I think the one thing to note here is that when people think of shoppable posts, they're thinking it's got to be a clothing item. Well, that's not necessarily true. Any type of business that you have anything you sell, I think you could tag on there. I will say, I think physical items, think about this, like um, let's say shoes versus a maybe an online course. You know, technically maybe the shoe product might perform well. More people might be more inclined to click on that, tap it, order it, buy it. That might be the case. But I, I think if you have any kind of product to sell, I don't see any reason why not to try it and give it a go. I think people forget, you know, or thinking like, oh, I don't have a clothing item or a different type of item. It, it wouldn't make sense for me. But I don't think that's true. I think you should definitely explore it and give it a go for your business. I love that you said for the course, you can sell like intellectual property too. I don't see why you couldn't if you're selling it on your website. If it's true? on a website and you can connect it, yeah, that should work. And yeah, so in theory, you just need to think about your business, the things that you're offering and you're selling and see if this will work for you. Again, not everything's the perfect fit, but it's at least something to explore and give a go. All right. I love it. All right, guys, get out there and go get your shoppable account on Facebook and Instagram and let's make some Benjamins. Hallie, thank you so much. We appreciate you. We'll see you again next week. Sounds great. Thank you. Mini news, mini news sesh. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Hallie, thank you again for all that information. I'm going to have Emily set up my shoppable posts, posts, haste, see what I did there. All right. Before I get into my interview with Sean Castrina, let me tell you a little bit about the man. Sean Castrina is a serial entrepreneur, having started more than 20 companies over the last 20 years, and he still seeks to launch a new venture annually. He is the author of Eight Unbreakable Rules for Business Startup Success, The Greatest Entrepreneur in the World, and The World's Greatest Business Plan. He hosts one of the most popular business podcasts on the planet, The 10-Minute Entrepreneur. Wingnuts, help me in welcoming Sean Castrina to the Wingnut Social Podcast. Hey there, Sean Castrino. Welcome to the podcast. How the hell are you? I'm great. 
I'm great and so happy to to have you here in the green room. I learned a whole bunch of stuff about you, and I think that the audience is going to be blown away with the takeaways that we're going to have here today for sales for them in their interior design firm. But before I get started, just tell the audience a little bit about what makes you an expert in the space, and we'll dig right in. I'm expert in two spaces, really, in that I... You know, I write books about how to start and grow businesses, and I've rinsed and repeated and done that for 20 years. And and so that's important. But most people don't realize that my biggest holdings asset-wise is in uh, home improvements, high-end home improvements. And obviously, we just kind of discovered that in the green room. But And that's why I say my businesses aren't sexy, but I have an on-staff interior designer from, I believe it's the New York Institute of Art. I just know it's the best one in the country, of which I've been reminded of a few times <laughs> uh, when I write her, when I write her a check. And, uh, you know, and I have a kitchen designer on staff because that's more CAD drawings and things. And he's a, a chef. So, uh, you know, I've made a lot of money having designers because it allows me to ask for more money. I love it. And you know, that's one of the biggest things that we struggle with in the interior design industry. And you know, a lot of the designers uh, that listen to the show are solopreneurs or smaller firms, and it is revolving around the money and in the sales part, because we'll have the aesthetic or the gift to design a room, but not necessarily the business part and the business acumen and the sales part. So this is where you're coming in. And the one thing that I saw when researching you, Sean, was that resonated with me was you said something about in the service-based industry, and I'm paraphrasing, correct me if I get it incorrect, was that we're just so excited as new business owners or service professionals or interior designers, I'm putting in the interior designers, to just get any business, <laughs> that we're not really upselling. We're not really asking for the big money, and, and we're leaving a lot on the table, and, and a lot of that's mindset, but that's where I want to start. So if you could speak to that. It's funny you say that I tell my team, when I leave the house, there ain't a dollar left. I don't leave any money on the table for that project. I want all of it. Because not only that, because I want to run the project. I don't play well in the sandbox with others. So I would rather them give me all the money and I'll take all the responsibility as well. Sometimes we play too nice. Yeah, I'm guilty of that myself, playing too nice and going to a consultation and just you get into the mindset of, okay, are they going to be a client? Aren't they going to be a client that, okay, whatever they sign, you're like, okay, great. I won winning and then you're out the door and you start the project but without really taking that moment to calm down and to look into it further and say, okay, they're going to do a kitchen remodel. How can I add on to this? I mean, I'm here. There's going to be dusty anyway. How can I build on that? So tell us your thoughts when you're going to a design consultation and transforming yourself out of that mindset of just getting any business and being excited and flattered that they're hiring you to looking at that bottom line. Yeah, I mean, the fact is the introduction, you're, you're meeting with a client, the 80% is out of the way. Think about it that way. In other words, the heavy lift has already been accomplished. The heavy lift is the cost to acquire a customer. And assuming they've said yes, or they're going to say yes, you've gotten the big lift. Now, why wouldn't they want to give you more business in that it's can, more convenient for them to use you? What I always tell clients is this, is that it's not to your advantage to have five chefs in, the, in this process. Five people with five different visions, five people in your ear, five people throwing five people under the bus. The second something goes wrong, <laughs> that I would rather control the project and be completely responsible for it because most clients, listen, we, we think it's money that they, you got to understand this is what I've learned. And I've made millions in, in this space, millions. Customers want convenience, deadlines, and adhering to a budget more than any other thing. 
See, I learned that years ago. See, it's, it has nothing to do with whether he hires me or hires you. The only reason why they'd hire four or five different people or, or you got all this is because they, they perceive that it'll be simpler or they'll save money. But speed and the right outcome will override money with most clients. Because I tell them this, I go, you know, I, I know you've probably met clients, you have friends who've gone way over budget on a project. And they go, yeah, of course. I go, that never happens with me. I said, because we're going to establish a real live budget that you can bet your life on. And if you go to violate that budget, you're going to get an email from my staff letting you know you have, it's you who made the mess. That's a simple statement, but all I'm really saying to them is we're going to give you a budget. If you decide to spend more than what we've given you an allowance, we're going to send you a polite email letting you know that you spent more than the allowance. I mean, I'm not doing anything that's new into the process. I'm just wording it differently. When I look at a husband and the wife is all excited and I look at him and I said, John, I keep marriages together because I will guard your money like oxygen. You both will get copied on an email letting you know that we have kind of, we're getting ready to run into the sun. There's so many ways to word something that says you're going to pay me more money and you're only going to use me, but I'm also giving them what they really, really want, which is convenience, guarding a budget, having one person accountable. So how I'm thinking about this, because I'm, I'm soaking this all in, I get, because I'm an interior designer here in Miami, Florida, my firm is Darla Powell Interiors. So would this be, would this apply if you're talking to a client for an interior design project and they're saying things like, can we use our own tile guy? Can we use our own contractor? And in my mind, in my gut and the designers listening, I'm like, no, <laughs> you can't because I want to control all that. And I want to make never right. Okay. Never because they're going to throw you under the bus. The problem is, is that the more, once you start bringing new people, you don't think they have a designer that they like using. I mean, you're, you're bringing a potential nightmare. You don't have an alliance. In other words, if I use my subcontractors, we have employees in our business model, so it's what makes us unique. But the one thing is, is if my designer goes onto a job and she sees a problem, she's loyal to me even more than that customer. So she's going to say to me, I'm going to get a text going, hey, you might want to go out there and go look at 103 Coral Reef. I'm not sure who did it or whether they had a good day or not, but the grout lines look bad. Yeah. Or okay. I was out there and the customer's just a little funny about such and such. So instead of her aligning herself with the customer, she always comes back and aligns herself with me. What I tell designers is know who's writing you the check. Right. Who are you? You know, you got to be loyal. You're the only thing. Well, I'm loyal to my customer. Well, okay. Is your customer going to give you another job? Because I'm the one who's going to give you the jobs for the next five years. So let's be really clear how this chain of command works. If you're a designer starting out, say the first five years, would you turn down a job who they insisted to use their own contractor? What I would do is this. I would say, if you choose to use that, I want to be very clear on my time frame. If your contractors slow me down, impede my work, then there needs to be something built in there to compensate me for that. Okay. I would just tell them the problem. I just typically share why I don't like to play in the sandbox because I'm, I'm always waiting on your people. And if I was going to do it that way, I would just probably get a consulting fee that it took me out of that loop. In other words, okay, why don't you just let me design the project give you a set fee to design it, and you can pay me by the hour to come in as needed during the project to put a second set of eyes on something. I think I would probably structure my fee differently. Well, that's how we've actually handled that, you know, in the past. But I really like what you said that you're like, you don't think that contractor might have designers they prefer to work with. So that is a risk that you're taking for sure. So Sean, in the green room, you mentioned something too that I wanted to touch on. You said you don't even pick up the phone or go out to the house if they're not prepared to give you a check right there on site. How do you guys go about vetting 
your high-end interior design clients to make sure that when you do the consultation, you're not wasting your time. And I think this applies to every type of sales, okay? Because I think we all we rush out way too often. And I think if anything, the virus has probably made us a little more vetting because we do more Zoom calls. Let's say you're an interior designer, okay? Who's your target customer? It's basics here, okay? Your target customer is a homeowner, okay? Probably willing to spend a little bit more than the average person. They're not, you know, a DIY, you know, do it yourself or I don't even, that's like a curse word in my business. So I don't even have to say it right. Okay. So all I'm saying to you is know who your customer is. And when you get that a first call, vet that out. Like one of the things would be is, okay, do you own the home I'm looking at? You've showed up and they don't even own it yet. They're looking at it and trying to see what it'll look like in the future. No, I don't do dreams with you. Okay. You, uh, when you close on the property, if you haven't closed on it, you're going to pay me a fee to look at that and we can apply it towards a job if in fact you buy it. You're not getting my time for free. And you know, that happens a lot. We actually have a client here who's had um, maybe five walkthroughs scheduled with us. It hasn't closed yet. And then the close actually just fell through. So now we're waiting for them to find a new house. <laughs> they would have never met with Sean Castrina, I can tell you that, or my, and or my team. So what I tell them is this, we'd love to work with you, but there's no guarantee. Oh, no, we're going to, no, that's fine. You're going to pay me my $250 consultation or $500 or $750, whatever it is. And I'm confident you're going to close on it too. And since you're so confident, we're going to just to apply that. We're going to, obviously, we're not, it's not sitting in vain. We're going to just apply it towards your job. That happens a lot. Of course. I'm telling you how to say, listen to me. I didn't know anything about construction. I still can't build a three-piece birdhouse, but I don't think anybody's doing it any better. Seriously, I'm going to take credit right now. I waste little time, and I don't. This is another thing. Sean Castorino never, ever gets paid less than $1,000 per hour for my time. I love it. And you've, you've done that because you have the confidence to charge it, and people are paying it. They're, and they're paying it because they know in the end, I'm actually going to save them money. I'm just telling them, I go, listen, you're meeting with one person who has a company that can do every single part of this job from top to bottom. So what should take a year I'm going to finish in six months? I can guard your money because there's no unknowns in my model. There's no unknowns. I, I control all, all entrances into this harbor come through me. So you got to find a way to frame your business model that allows you to have that confidence and allows you to have that value proposition to a customer. I, I have no problem saying to a customer, I'm going to save you money. I'm going to finish your project faster. I'm going to make it so much less aggravating on you. That's what we do with our full service model when we do use our own contractors. But we have gotten a couple of people bucking, wanting to use their contractors, and we fall into the consulting thing. So let's talk about, okay, we're at the consultation, and you have a client that you know has a pretty decent budget. They have a, a new home. And they just say, no, we just want to remodel the bedroom. That's it. That's all we want to do for you now. Now, a lot of designers will turn that down. But if you're a newer designer, how do you go through that consultation and see, okay, I'm here, I'm in the house, we're going to get dusty anyway. How can I upsell them? What are some of the, the steps or what should we be looking at to think along those lines? First thing is I would say to the designers, you never turn down a yes okay. of a target customer. Even if it's just a one room, you don't you don't care the size. It doesn't okay. no, it doesn't matter because let me you guys see this. Hopefully if you married the right person, you kissed her first. <laughs> well. Right? Right? You probably kissed her before you got to Z. Right? I, I hope so. I mean, normally there's some degree of um, you know, it's no different in business. The customer is what they're saying to you is is that 
hey, for right now, we want to see how this goes, see how this project goes, see how we stay on budget. I know I'm going to exceed their expectations, so I'm going to get all the money later anyway. What do you gain by leaving? You have lost a customer indefinitely. And there's a lot of interior designers, though, that do have that mindset. And I think it's a massive mistake. Okay. At the design firm, though, we actually just did have a client say, I'm just going to start with the bedroom. And they were feeling us out and how we did. And we, of course, we nailed it. And now she wants to do the living room and et cetera. So that's, that's an amazing point. I've got a hundred of these, but just, I did one just in the last six weeks. Okay. The first time we went to, to work with them, they spent $2,000. I just got a quarter of a million dollars for the exact the same. I don't think my, my consultation with them has been an hour, maybe an hour longer than what it took to get 2000. They're like, you did such a great job on that. They want to build a home office now that they're kind of trapped. We're building a breezeway to a massive home office. It's a $175,000 project. Oh, and while you're there, could you remodel our two bathrooms? And by the way, can you convert our attic into a big walk-in closet? It's going to be, you know, it might end up close to 300000 It was 2008 years ago. Now, is there no job too small then for you guys? There's no job too small if you have a target customer. This is the key thing here. Let's go with this. Okay. You're in business. All you're trying to do is you're a collector and you're trying to collect target customers. That's business. I'm making it as simple as right. it can be. What you're trying to do is collect the most people that you know like and need what, you, what it is you offer and can pay your rates. So you have a profile customer. There's no rule, you know, unless you've kind of raised your eyebrow to what you're willing to do. And that's completely up to you. If you put in your ads, I mean, we don't work with anybody for under 10 grand. Well, that's fine. That could be your model. I'm just saying to you is that, okay, whether I'm at your house one day or 10 days, it can still fit into the cycle of business. No, it doesn't alter anything that dramatic to what I'm doing. Okay, I do a bedroom. Okay, I'm not going to be there for six weeks. I'm going to be there for three days. I love having little bitty jobs in between jobs sometimes because I have a delay on something that's coming in. To me, it's just a great way to introduce our business to a target customer. This is what I like even as well. Okay, were they easy to work with? Did they pay on time? How many times have we signed up with a customer and we feel like we just chained ourselves to Satan himself? <laughs> a lot. I'd like to do one startup, you know, one smaller job with every customer. I like to figure out the personality. I like to see, do they have, you know, the little dinosaur arms where they can't hand you a check? It's really hard to get that check out of them. Uh, the ones that send you an email every night at eight o'clock at night to go through everything <sighs> you're pissed off with. I'd rather work with them on a small scale and then say to them, hey, Denise and John, I love working with you all, but going forward, it's going to be like this. Hey, I don't want any emails after six o'clock at night. If you have something to say to me, call me on my phone. Number two is, is that when my guys ask you for a check, give them a check, please. Know the check is coming. We all realize there's going to be, that's a part of this. You got to pay. You know, I mean, I do it in a funny way, but I'm like, sometimes working with them on a smaller scale allows me to realign the relationship on the bigger project. I don't see any downside of it. Are you struggling with your social media? Do you have a strategy or are you just throwing things up, praying to the social media gods that your images and your captions are attracting your ideal client? Well, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be calling Wingnut Social and getting your social media audit and strategy. Our process begins with an in-depth boarding call. And then we write you a custom strategy curated just for your business to determine your end game, your goals, your ROI. What is it that you really want to get out of social? You don't just want to throw pretty pictures up. You want it to actually pay off, I'm thinking, right? So let's get specific. Here are a few insights your strategy will include. Competitive analysis. 
current performance, positioning, who are you online, your voice, your aesthetic, content pillars, what the heck to post about, plus tips for stories, video, hashtags, captions, way to engage with your followers, and how to get those ever-changing algorithms to work in your favor. So if you need help with your social media marketing, and you just need a strategy and just need a business plan in some direction to get some real ROI and get clients picking up the phone to call you, head on over to wingnutsocial.com and check out. You can actually purchase it directly on the website. That's wingnutsocial.com or 1-877-WINGNUT. Okay, I, I love that perspective because seriously, that has been, if you listen to a lot of the industry podcast or the aspirational designers who want to work with, like, as you said, the nosebleed high end, they're like, well, I don't take homes less than a million dollars or my, I won't do a house that had design fees are less than $50,000. You got to extract what it is you make per hour. And if they're willing to pay that and just in a smaller scale, example, let's say my speaking fee is $25,000 for the day. Okay. But there's somebody an hour from where I live who's willing to let me do a talk at night. So I'm going to go down and eat dinner with my wife. I'm going to do a one-hour talk, and they're willing to give me five grand. Do I turn that down because I only do $25,000 talk? No. It's a potential customer. It could be an all-day event maybe later. How do I lose on that? You don't. And, and if you do turn them down, send them my way, would you? <laughs> right, that's my point. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still getting to scale of what I want. It's just a smaller scale, but it's also less of my time, less of a drive. It, it, it all works itself out. Okay. So let's talk about your funnel a little bit, Sean, for your interior design side. What is the, what is the name of your interior design or construction business that we're talking about right now? Yeah. So I own a company called Advantage Home Contracting in my area, in Charlottesville, it doesn't matter anyway. And Charlottesville is a very wealthy city. Yeah, it is. But the way that we use our designer, because we know we're expensive, I mean, we'll run a Super Bowl ad regionally. I mean, we, we, we don't play. I put our designer into all our jobs from the beginning. I pay her a set fee per hour. So on a, like a little consultation, just a meet and greet where she's going to design a bathroom. Let's say it's eight hours. You know, it's going to be an initial two hours to look everything over. Then she's going to present something. Then she's going to go shopping with them. Again, you can do five days, whatever your model is. It's, it's irrelevant to me, but I don't like, if I was a remodeling company, I would want to have a relationship with a designer because to me, I, I tell her, I go, Jennifer's great. She is going to a help you and your husband break ties. That's what I tell her. She breaks ties. I guess she's going to tell you when you're going over budget. I said, do you love going to a model home? Have you ever been to a model home? Isn't, doesn't, you know why it looks great? Because people like Jennifer designed them. I said, they make sure everything matches. Worst case scenario, she's going to confirm what you're thinking, or she may give you another piece of advice. Whatever, in other words, I put Jennifer as one of the key, you know, ingredients in our success of any of your projects. And I, I tell them, I go, our, our business model is I establish a budget that I'll share with Jennifer. We're going to hold you to that budget. We're going to, and we'll tell you if you're going over it. Jennifer is going to design the project based on the kind of the numbers that we have. And she knows whether they're going to go to Lowe's or a high-end tile store. You know, is it going to be a $3 tile or an $8 tile? She knows what road they're steering off of. Sure. Yeah. And then she'll send me an email and copy me on it. She goes, Sean, just an update. And she copied, you know, Mary Smith on it. Mary really likes the high-end tile at so-and-so. She's going to be spending a little bit more out of pocket, whatever the case may be. Jennifer keeps our jobs going faster. I would not want to work without a designer because it typically, like in contracting, it's a male. But typically who you work with is a female. 
The only male in the equation a lot of time, many times is just to kind of agree with how much they're going to spend. But he's typically on the sidelines and most statistically, and I've done this a long time. Statistically, he's just trying to make sure the wife doesn't put him broke. So he loves having this referee. He, he's got somebody who's going to do the dirty work for him. Somebody who gets to go shopping. You want, think he wants to go shopping with his wife looking at tile? I mean, they love me when I'm done. I took him off the hook for everything he hates. Honey, don't spend money. So if you can sell that value to him or her, you never know anymore, um, that there you go, you're sold. Okay, if you aren't going to turn down a small job, let's say you think that, okay, this might be a $2,000 bedroom or, or whatever, what have you right now, and maybe down the road, it'll be a quarter of a million project. How do you vet that initial job? Like, what does your intake process look like? And everybody has a different, our approach is this. Our advertising lets people know pretty much from the get-go that we're not cheap. Because I, I tell people, it's funny when I go to meet with them, I'll go, um, was it all our brand new vans that you see driving around town that made you think we were cheap? Was it the Super Bowl ad or the radio ad you hear on TV? Was it our huge office that takes up a corner? Like, you know, and they go, oh, no, yeah, you, know, there's a, you can define, but you can do that. I did that before I had any of that. You can define your credibility from the beginning, you know, you know, we're not for everybody. You know how that statement, we're not for everybody. We're kind of this. So obviously we're not the least expensive that you're going to use, but we do a great job. We have found, this is how you make the transition, our ideal customer, where it's a win for our customer and a win for us. Number one is they need to own the house. We find it's a great deal of wasted time. Okay. Number two is they understand that every purchase is not going to be the least expensive thing, that they understand that, 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 if they can do that, they don't need me. If you're going to buy everything from Wayfair or whatever, you don't need me, maybe. Okay, so you got to kind of bridge them to that. Okay, next is is that we pay. We're like, I always say we're like groceries. When you purchase groceries, you paid. We're the exact same way. So the paying process is going to be we're going to get this, you know, at contract signing, and then there'll be area, you know, draws accordingly, and and I'm not going to have to chase down those checks. It's going to be very easy to get. And in other words, you just define it in such a way that this is my customer. This is what I need. Are you that person? So example, they rent. No, they're dreaming. No. Another thing we do is, are you looking to get the job done in the next six months? This is huge. I'm not into the HGTV people. They got excited last night and, oh, but we're thinking in three-year increments. Well, great, great, great. Two and a half years from now, bring me in. Bring me in. <laughs> Give us a call. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not even interested? I go, no, I'm super interested when you get within six months of doing it. You got to find the person who's probably statistically most likely to say yes, pay you what you want, and be the easiest to work with and use you again. There's your target customer. I want to circle back a little bit to where you said that your advertising lets people know that you aren't the least expensive. Is that just because of the nature of the type of advertising you're doing, like Super Bowl, or is it the actual content that you're putting out? I think it's the image you put out in your commercial. I think that you can do it no matter what you do. If you list your, okay, I've been doing this for 15 years. I specialize in such and such. I mean, you can frame your ads to make you look like, you know, the next tier up. We like to work with homeowners with a budget typically between 10 to such. And you can, you know, there's a million ways to frame that. But what you're basically telling people is, hey, if you're going to be looking for the cheapest in every part of this, another, ask them what their budget is. That'll eliminate them. We do that. That's one of our things. We ask them what their budget is. 
How much pushback do you get on that? Because we do that too. And it's like, it really is. They would rather go to the, to the dentist than give us that answer. Yeah, I know. And what I tell them is this, is that I'm not so concerned about the dollar figure and I don't even care. What I'm trying to tell you is this, we're not going to be your cheapest. So if your budget is completely dictated on it being the least expensive, I just want to save you time right now. We will never be it. If somehow I'm your least expensive estimate, I will be offended. I have failed. No, that's what I tell them. I have failed. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's get back to you did mention maybe on your your marketing you could put okay, we're taking homeowners projects starting at a minimum of 10,000. There's like a divided uh, thought on do I list my prices on my advertising, my website to because designers are afraid they are going to turn down, you know, like we talked about before that that educational kind of level client I think you can vet them over the phone. I, I think you don't want your advertising to eliminate people, but I think you just want to give a professional image. But I think when you talk to someone on the phone, you have to have like a five-question vetting. Like ours is very simple. Number one is how soon are you looking to do the project? Do you have a budget in mind? If you want to keep it a secret, that's fine. But we want to make sure that you've thought through what you're going to spend. Well, the good thing about that is if I give you an estimate, they can say yes or no. You got to see if something's rolling around in their head. Sometimes they go, I have no idea what this will cost. Okay, maybe I can help you with that. You know, next, have you ever done a project like this before? Have you ever worked with a designer before? You know, in other words, you can just do a few questions that let you know, gosh, this person is probably never going to use me. Example, what type of vendors are you comfortable buying from? Do you typically buy from Lowe's or do you have you ever, you can frame it any way you want to, but you know, there's there's a way to get to that. That is something that we do on our intake. You know, when I speak to potential clients, you know, are you a pottery barn kind of person? Are you, you know, all the time? Right. Yeah. What kind of level do you shop at? And I've been, I kind of have put some pricing on the website and I think it's eliminated tire kickers, but it's not very specific. They still have to call and, and get the nitty gritty. What do you use for your number one channel for advertising? Is it digital marketing, Instagram? What do you find? I own a digital marketing company. So I, I, Me I too. that. <laughs> yeah. So again, I just want to find out who my target customer is. And I don't care. I'll use every hook that can get a target customer. So I use rate. I use what I call layered marketing. Because okay. remember, I have a client who's going to spend between 10000 and 300000 Sure. I like radio because I like testimonies. They're one minute long. And when they hear Mrs. Smith talk about her great experience, so I don't even try to sell them in a radio ad. I just want to get in their subconscious mind. I want them to hear that. Number two is I'll use like a Valpac type of thing just because new people are moving into town. And it's in the least expensive way. Now, you can do it with postcards, but I want something that regularly hits every single person moving into town. Okay, that's how I do it. So I'll use a direct mail piece. I've used postcards. I've used Valpac. Number three is I use digital ads that run nonstop and they're always changing up based on the season. And, you know, is it January? Super Bowl's coming. So I'll probably do like home theaters, basement finishing, things of that nature. As we get to March and April, be screen porches, decks. So I like the nimbleness of direct mail. And then I use TV. I think TV is really good with your brand. A really well done TV commercial kind of touches all the food groups. That is out of out of the reach, though, of a lot of the listeners, the television stuff. So, yeah, that would have to be at your level. Then, I, I mean, I like digital. If I could only do one, it would be digital because digital is the easiest to track. What I do is don't try to do five different mediums at once, you know, vehicles. If you're going to do Facebook, stay on Facebook for four straight weeks. Just do Facebook. The problem is people do too many things. They don't know what really is working. Don't pollute your advertising. Digital marketing, we promise we do 10 different things. We got so many. Do it in, in like two or four week increments. 
be very specific. I'm going to do Facebook. This is the, the ad I'm going to run. How did it do? So keep a little Excel spreadsheet. So my beta test one did this. Okay, fine. Now beta test it again with a different call to action or a different theme. You got to get to where you can, it's like flying a kite where you can move that thing around and make it, if you're going to do digital marketing, be nimble. That's the advantage of digital marketing is it's nimble. Yeah. I was going to say, it's not free anymore because you have to pay to play to, to get any real ROI, but it's it's easily accessible. And you can always delegate it out to someone with a marketing agency like you or me. And I encourage you to do that. And, and what I tell you is this, is that marketing done right should never cost you money. I Marketing does not cost me money. When you start a business, you have a system. If you're providing a product, there's a cost to provide to build the product. Well, attracting customers and selling them is all part of that wheel. You know, it's amazing. We're going to have this company, but by the way, we're not going to spend any money to acquire customers. I mean, that's a violation of the very fundamentals of business. If someone told me tomorrow that I had to double what I'm paying for my digital marketing agency or not, it's still a cost of doing the business. I would say happily say, yep, go ahead, because we make so much money from our Instagram marketing. It's, it pays for itself. One good client we're, we're paid for for the year. Exactly. So if you keep track of the numbers, like the way I just told you, when you spend money, you're going to feel really confident in that because you've seen it. Now it works. I got this many calls. Sean, thank you so much for your advice on this. I'm actually going to apply some of this on, on the consultations. And I think I'm going, to, I'm going to stand up a little firmer on just insisting, no, we use our own contractors or forget it. Consulting it is. I mean, we have kind of toyed with it, but Especially not so much. It's aggravating. Yeah, it is. It is. And I don't like not having control over the final product before photo shoots and et cetera. But I wanted to ask you if there's anything I forgot to ask you on this topic before we get into the what up wingnut round. No, no, I'm I'm here to serve your average. Like I never, I've never talked about this subject before because everything's always about business. First time I've actually talked about my construction companies. You know, the only thing people know. I can is tell why. you're passionate about it. I've, it made me millions. <laughs> well, let's hope it makes the audience millions too. Yeah, and I don't know how to do any of it, which I think is the most amazing part. Isn't that the best? <laughs> I have a pla- listen. I have a plastic toolbox with like nine tools in it that I got when I got married, and it has not grown. I, I still it. can't assemble a three-piece birdhouse. <laughs> That's right. You delegate. Work, work smarter. Okay. Sean Castrina, I have to ask you now if you're ready for the What Up Wingnut round. Ask me anything. Now it's time for What Up Wingnut. Wingnut. What would the hashtag on your tombstone be? Uh, tenacious. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely intense. intense. <laughs> tenacious. Okay, we'll give you two. You're stuck on a deserted island and you can only have one favorite food. What is it? I love pizza because you can do it so many different ways. I love pizza. I've had people answer fish and they're on a deserted island. <laughs> That'd be the last thing I want. And steak would kill me with cholesterol. So pizza, I can play with a lot of different ways. Please recommend a book that has had an impact on you either personally or professionally. There's a few that I love. I just think you can't go wrong with Rich Dad, Poor Dad if you're trying to figure out why you're in business to start with. Think and Grow Rich. If you've never read it, shame on you. It's, it's, <laughs> it's the doctrine of the right mindset for business. And then finally, Speed of Trust. This is one most people don't know about. Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey's son. Stephen Covey wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which I think is one of the five best books ever written. His son wrote a book called The Speed of Trust. And if you're a designer, it'll really help you get more money because it talks about why people buy. And there's some principles that he talks about. Like It has nothing to do with like We think it's likability and we want to build a rapport. That's bullcrap. He kills that. It's trust. They have to trust you. And there's principles on how they trust you. And he 
compares how Warren Buffett can do the fastest billion dollar deal out there because people know his word is gold. If he says, I'm going to pay you $5 billion for your company, you're not wondering if the money's coming. You're not wondering if it's his word is gold. And, and it just talks about the power of in business of your of delivering what you promise. It's incredible. I just added it to my audible cue. <laughs> that sounds amazing. It is fantastic. It's a game changer, I think. Sean, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Please tell the listeners where they can go to find out more about you. Yeah, you can get a free book if you go to my personal site, seancastrian.com. It's my first book I wrote, The Eight Unbreakable Rules for Business Startup Success. So it'll share with you some of the principles I talked about today, and you get that for free. And if you just want to learn how to be be a better business person, because I'm more I'm a business person first and foremost. The company is kind of irrelevant to me, to be frank with you. That's why I own diverse companies. So the 10-Minute Entrepreneur Podcast, which has been a top 10 business podcast, top 50 in 50 countries, is a great podcast if you actually want to learn how to operate a small business successfully. Awesome. Sean, thank you so much for joining me today. You have an amazing week. Great. Thank you so much. Okay. I don't know about you guys, but Sean definitely drove home a couple of things. First, he reinforced, okay, y'all are using my contractors because I want control of this. And you know what? Guess what? That's also how I make more money. Otherwise, consulting, bada bing, bada boom, here you go. And we have kind of been organically filtering down to that as we go, figuring, okay, this is the best way to go. This is the best way to work. But Having someone who's made a zillion dollars in the industry who does that saying this is the way you need to do it, terrific. Okay, great. That's definitely cementing it in my mind as a policy. And I do love that he said, you know, they're not all things to all people. They market themselves specifically as, he didn't say this in so many words, but he said that he's not the cheapest. He didn't say he's the most expensive, but I was hearing that he's pretty expensive, right? We were hearing that. And there's a certain market out there, a certain level of clientele that just looks for that. They figure if it's the most expensive, it's going to be the best. Here you go. Boop. You know that. You guys are buying Apple iPhones for what? You're not getting the Nokia flip phones for what, right? You, you know, because you're paying for the the brand, the name, the quality, and et cetera. And if you're not an Apple fanboy, I apologize in advance. I'm not a uh, Android user, although I play one on TV. And one of the things that really caught my attention with Sean that I, I mentioned in the intro was that he mentioned that, you know, as service professionals, or especially in, as newer designers in the business or, or newer business owners, we're just so excited to get any business that we're a little hesitant to push to add things to the clothes. I, as long as I'm here, you know, that bathroom, hey, let's gut it. I mean, one fuss, one fuss, one time, let's do it or upselling or making sure that you can sell them on the furnishings because you're there and maximizing that sale during the time. And another thing that he said too, which gives me pause, and I'm going to have to think about it a minute, is just taking any size job. And he's right. You know, if it's your hourly, if your hourly is his hourly, $1,000 an hour or what have you, that's something to think about. And I know that my creative director at Darla Powell Interiors does share that same theory. He's like, give me a small job. I don't care. They're paying for hourly. I'll do that. Because I was thinking about getting to the mindset of doing the, we're only going to take the $100,000 you know, design fee job or winnowing that down. But I'm I haven't done it because I'm not sure it quite makes sense. So I I did like Sean's take on that. And to his point, like I said, we do have a client that was just trying us out on some of the smaller stuff who's now doing larger projects. So that would have been something we would have given back. We would have given that money to competition in the area. So that is something to think about, too, if you have your mindset to where 
it's just a small job and it's beneath you or it's not worth your time or it doesn't fit your business model, maybe to have a, a larger, more open mind as to the future of that client relationship. That's important. And I don't know if you and I are going to get Super Bowl ads in our regional market anytime soon, but he did say that he uses a wide variety of advertising, even the value packs for the new homeowners. You know how when you buy a home, you move in, you get the new mail and you get all that stuff for all the new services. So, I mean, that's a thought, but he did boil it down to if he could only do one thing, guess what it is? Same thing it is for everybody, digital marketing and to delegate it for sure. I mean, he has a digital marketing company. I'm guaranteeing you him with his plastic toolbox (laughs) for eight years. He doesn't do his own marketing. I'm sure he delegates that as well. So remember to think about that too. Delegate outside of your zone of genius. Let the experts handle things that you are not an expert at and you do what you've been trained to do and do so well and to make that money and to make it rain. All right, guys, if you like what you hear, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever the hell you're listening to this podcast on. Follow us on social at Wingnut Social. If you need help with marketing for your high-end interior design firm or luxury brand, wingnutsocial.com. We'll be happy to help you out. And that is it for this week, guys. Remember to go out, get uncomfortable, and be great. You've reached the end of this episode of Wingnut Social, but that's only the first step into accelerating your business the Wingnut way. Head over to wingnutsocial.com or call us at 1-877-WINGNUT to see how we can help you take your business from social mediocre to social media master. We'll see you on the next episode of Wingnut Social, your social media tightly fastened. Today, Sean Castrina shares with us some of the ways he's made millions of dollars in the... Deep breaths. Woosah. Namaste. Should have stayed in bed. Tom Brady's going to the Super Bowl again, which I hate. I smell sulfur. I kind of liked it, but then I hated it. Good boy, Mango.